of creating a space where learning happens naturally. Fun fact, I found her on Instagram and asked her to be part of this, and I'm very, very happy to be able to share our conversation with you. Hope you guys enjoy it. Hi, Emily. Good morning. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm doing great. I'm here outside in the Vegas sunrise, so this is really nice, actually. Oh, that's beautiful. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy that you're here, and thank you so much for doing this. I'm yes. so excited. I also mentioned in the introduction that I actually found you on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm yeah. so, so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for the miracle of social media and the kind <laughs> of people that you can reach out to and find and I love what you're doing. I love what you're sharing. I love what you're posting. I love the entire concept behind the Rainbow Room, and I would love to hear everything about it. Um. <laughs> oh, thank you. Social media is so fun. I agree. What is something I've always done is one of my first big purchases when I was young, 19 years old, was a video camera, like one of the big kind, you know, you mm-hmm. hold it with two hands. And so I have tons of video of my life. I was really um, big about that. So when social media came and this idea of stories and things like that, I'm like, I'm already doing that. So share it with the world, you know? <laughs> like, wow, that's great. Such an awesome kind of uh, catalyst to what is now turned into, yeah, my daily stories and getting to share my awesome kiddos with the world and the fun that we have here. So. Yeah, I'm so glad we got in contact, and yeah, I mean, I guess I would just back up a little bit and say, like, even how I came into being a homeschool mom, because that was kind of not anything that you could have told me I would be when I was, you know, younger. (laughs) Right. Um, It all really started when I met my husband, who is a chef, so a pretty non-traditional work schedule and life, and I also am and was a flight attendant for many years. I'm pretty much retired now, but so we had these really untraditional jobs with a lot of, you know, ups and downs and schedule maintenance. And so when we started to think about having kids, I was like, how are we, like, uh, we can do the baby stuff, but once we start, they start school, that's going to be impossible. They'll never see you. And that really, really hurt my heart to think that they wouldn't, that we wouldn't have him in the picture. So um, I really started researching a lot, a lot, a lot um, as soon as we started to think about having a family, so that would have been, you know, nine, ten years ago now. Um, so it led me to all these different ideas and um, of just basically natural parenting, positive parenting. And once she came, I was just so blown away. I, I really wasn't sure about parenting because everybody, there seems to sometimes be an, a more negative spin on parenting. And so I had such low expectations of what parenting would be that when she came, it was like, whoa, just magnificent because I was just like, this is amazing. She's so wonderful and perfect and I love watching her learn. And that just became like such an obsession for me. I just loved seeing that little spark. So I got kind of like really, really into that and wanting to encourage it. And so all my time would be spent buying and reading books about 
the child's brain and what's really going on and how can we encourage this and here I am this many years later trying to do it at a larger level for other kids and um, that's kind of what's been born into the rainbow room. I'm really excited to it started with a preschool last year and then this year we're going to expand to a 6 to 12 program out of That's so great. Yeah. That's so great. What is the inspiration behind it? I think for me I had seen so many different perspectives through the books I had read and you know I was trying to piece it all together myself and I like doing that. I know that's not for everybody, but once I heard about Montessori and got my first Montessori book and really started reading through that and then finding Montessori accounts online, I would say that that was like the eruption of like, <gasps> because I, it kind of taught me that you do have to make a balance between the philosophical mm. and the practical. And I just felt like I found somebody who had already done all the work that I was trying to like right. inch by inch go along. It was like, oh, this already exists. It's amazing. Like, this is what I want for my children. And then it came from like, well, I, same kind of problem. Like, it's not finding Montessori. I think that would be an amazing option for people who have the means and the, you know, ability. But for me, it was still going to be an issue because I'm not going to take my children. Then the same problem would exist. They'd never see their father. <laughs> right. So we had to find a more non-traditional way. And then I fell into, you know, Montessori and um, the other, like, more softer disciplines of homeschooling. And it really came a lot from Instagram, too, because that's what we were saying before, is that Instagram is so great because you can, like, really just search a, a topic and you just fall into this, like, all these accounts. And it's just really fun because that's a really fun way to learn because it's really, I like variety. So I'm seeing mm -hmm. this and seeing that and I'm getting inspired daily and it it took years, but here I am. And yes. I want to share it with everybody. I want to, you know, I want, especially my, my own little world and this works so well for our family because it serves my kids' needs. My family's needs. It utilizes this this home that I've made into this environment, this like children's paradise. You know, I've been trying so hard to make it a paradise for my own children, but this is lovely to be able to share it with others as well. So. Yeah, that's incredible. And speaking of environment, I would like to ask about how you created this environment. What was your thought process when you chose like certain toys or? Yeah, well, I think. What's so cool about your background is that you're both architect and educational, right? Yeah. So you think a lot about design. And yeah, yeah, that's and exactly why I asked the question. <laughs> and education, right? So we, we have a lot in common there because it's really this environment is like kind of the missing piece of bringing order out of chaos because kids are chaotic. Right. I'm the oldest of six, and so I swim naturally in like chaos. Like, mm -hmm. I, I kind of like it. I don't even know what family would be if it was, like, very calm. And so I, but I also found myself, especially with the toys, I, I was, I didn't discover this until after my second baby. Or no, it might even been at, right after my son was born, so mm -hmm. my third baby. So 
I had this awakening after I, I mean, I basically had had all the stuff <laughs> and I was spending so much time every day cleaning and organizing and just like, I didn't even know if they wanted to play with it. It just seemed very chaotic. They would like dump stuff and like, ah, it was chaos. So I was like, there's got to be a better way. And so what I wanted to do is create an environment that would be like self-renewing, that would be so easy, that would work with the children and myself and be so intuitive that really anybody could come in and like if if we gave somebody the project to clean up my toy room, they'd be like, oh, well, that's pretty easy because look, I can see that goes there, that goes there. And that, that really worked for children. And then just to find out that children really do have this need and sense for order mm-hmm. because they themselves are so chaotic that they're really looking for us to supply that order and balance right. to their life. I was like, oh, okay, this is like what I'm really, really focusing on right now. And it was fun too. It was like, you know, you have to follow. I always tell everybody, you don't have to get what I did. You don't have to do any of that. For me, it also brought this really big spark of joy, mm-hmm. like having these toys and the color and like I'm just really turned on by that kind of stuff so it was a a perfect meeting of the two it felt good to spend my resources time energy money towards that so I think there's other ways you can create order so simply in your home I love some of these minimalist accounts that it's just like minimalist Montessori and you just see their one cute little shelf with you know their handful of toys that they have out for their child and I'm like gosh even that might be easier (laughs) you know (laughs) I'm like oh maybe I've gotten too much stuff now again we'll see but yeah it's been such a fun journey but I think you found the key to good design because I like to call this the user experience I think that if Mm. people build schools or design schools actually understood how kids work and how they learn schools would never look the way they look right now This is one thing that I think you're you're doing perfectly with the rainbow room because it's all about, you know, observing how children react to certain stimuli from the environment, certain colors, certain shapes, certain, and then just rearranging them in in a way where it kind of like works by itself. So I think, I think you did a great job here. And even the thought of a classroom doesn't bring joy. And I, I think that, in order to facilitate learning, you also have to spark joy, too. You have to have this association. Yes, and that's funny you say that, too, because actually Marie Kondo has been a huge influence for me. Mm. And if I had any aspirations at all, it would be to be like the Marie Kondo of homeschooling, you know, like rooms. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> and set up a system like that that people could use. So I'm working actively on something called Rainbow Learning, but it's, it's so much that I was very influenced by her book that I probably, so that journey probably, that probably really was one of the sparks. And then, so once I started learning about this, I got to get myself organized. I got to like have to, a place for everything, a home for everything. And also follow this like inner joy. So it's funny because that really, that was actually probably the very beginning was the Mary Kondo. Um, Interesting. World. I mean, 
you seem to be very passionate about it, and I think you're doing a great job. You should definitely do that. And I think some of these rules can actually be applied in schools, too, so I see a business opportunity here. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to make it very accessible because I think it's so important not to be too prescriptive, right? Like, she's not. That's what I love about her is that she's not saying, like, hey, take this little basket and fill it with X, Y, and Z. Yeah, that's the thing. She goes back to the, like, no, these are, I'm not telling you how to do it. And yeah. telling you like why and the like the the really what to follow more like that and so because that's been so much of my journey I would never come in and tell somebody this is how you do it I would rather spark the inspiration and right. the, like kind of the concepts so that they can make their own methods because right. that's going to be the most beneficial. Yeah, I, think, I think this is also the right way to do it because if you also look at how people learn. If you want to create something universal, I think it's very difficult because we are influenced by all these factors, including culture, and also culture influences design. That's why I think that it's funny that schools are built almost the same all over the world, even though you have such different cultures that interact such differently. And why would you have a building where people learn that looks the same, even though we're so different in those regards? So um, I think, yeah, you have to have a I think the motivation should be there for everybody the same, but the means of doing it should be flexible. I think a big thing, so the environment is maybe the facilitator, but we've um, kind of touched on this when we've talked before, but the it's almost like we have to talk about the spirit of the child, and I, I talk about homeschooling being like a very spiritual journey in itself of like really just, it's about energy and like just really understanding and trusting children and seeing them as these really holistic, beautiful beings that we're not pouring knowledge in. It's it's that old adage of like, no, let's work on the soil, you know, let's enrich this soil so that they can bloom and have all that they need. And I think that's a, a lot of what natural learning is. But if we could, I think we could do that in schools, no problem. And I really wish this year would have been the year that we did that. I know it sounds kind of naive and simplistic, but it really, I think the crux of it is trusting children. Mm. We have such a, a negative view of sometimes of what what they need to do and what they have to learn and et cetera, et cetera. And if we kind of give a little bit more power back to them and a little bit more autonomy and respect for who they are and who they came to be, right. We would right. be, we would all benefit as society, you know that, because we would be mining natural talent instead of forcing people through these little pathways only to right. wake up in their 20s or 30s and say, wait, what? I didn't quite like follow yeah. my path. I got to get back to that. Yeah. I think it's also very important to trust them because we are trying to make sure that the next generation is going to be a lifelong learning generation. And if you attribute learning just to school, then it automatically means that school school ending means learn, uh, ending of learning. So it doesn't really make sense. And this is one thing that I discovered for myself. I had a pretty weird experience with school. Even though I was good in school, I didn't feel like I was actually learning something. And to me, it, it, it took some time away from school and some time to just reflect and start, you know, learning things by myself to realize that I have to take ownership of my own learning 
And I think that's what we should and could do with kids from the beginning of their learning journey. Sing it, sister. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's absolutely true uh, because well, children are natural learners with everything. I mean, when we talk about the complexity that they accomplish in three years, it's it's insane to then say like, well, and then come to us for the rest of the knowledge <laughs> because they've already taught themselves how to command a language, to right. walk, to move their body, to understand their body. And if we can just set that timeline further out and talk more about like what the parent can do to encourage that and enrich that soil, right. uh, you know, reading every day to your child, that, that's really the biggest ingredient, right? Okay. And things like that, then we would have basically a different society because I think a lot of these ills come from you put a you put a child into a system and some are going to swim, you know. Some are like, oh, but my child loves school and this is like her place and it's great. And it's like, I get it. That's That's wonderful. Some personalities love okay, so I sit in this desk and I look at the blackboard and I raise my hand. They're just like, yes, this is my thing. Right. And other personalities do not. So we are really kind of, if we want to talk about equality, we're really deserving some personalities in that that is just not their thing and they shouldn't have to be disciplined back into the box. We should be trying to find a more open concept that accommodates really all children and yeah I, I I think there are so many people talking about this right now at least in you know the the program I'm part of it's 100 Roads and I just talked to a professor from Northeastern University yesterday Chris, Chris Unger and like there's so many people talking about this and trying to really distill down the terms and the paradigms and the systems of education and learning and how they work together that I have high hopes that it won't happen like tomorrow mm-hmm. or even like this year, but we're just, we have all the resources in this technological age to really, this can happen. This can yeah. work. I think so too. And I also think that it's not necessarily the matter of what we teach, but I think the most important is how we teach it because mm-hmm. I want to give you an example of a very innovative school in the Netherlands that I recently found out about, they, I mean, they still do math and history and all of these things, but children have the freedom to choose what they want to study over the semester. So, for example, if I want to do ancient Egypt or ancient Greece, uh, then that will be my project of the semester. And the teacher has the role of the facilitator. They don't, I don't think they even call themselves teachers. They call themselves mentors or coaches or something like that, which I think is super yeah, cool. Sure. And so basically, for the rest of your semester, you will, you know, get access to a lot of sources that will help you write your thesis or whatever you're doing in this project. Mm-hmm. That will be what you present at, at the end of the semester, which I think is amazing because this is when you actually learn, right? This is when yes. when you choose to do something and you you know that you're actually really interested and passionate about, and these are the things that will stick to you over the rest of your life, whereas 
you know, I'm very big on learning history, but I have to say I don't remember much of what we learned in school. Sure. Oh, yeah. I have, like, almost zero memories of school or really the classroom or really any experiences that way. I went to school primarily to be social mm-hmm. <laughs> and be with my friends. And I think even we hear that a lot in the – I hear that a lot now – Socialization is always an issue that people bring up with homeschooling. Mm. We go to school to be social, someone like me, but then you're kind of taking a roll of the dice of, is it too much social, too many influences? I know that I felt a little beat down over my teenage years and things by too many social like responsibilities or mm. things. Just overwhelmed. Yeah, I don't know that I wouldn't have thrived a little bit more with a few close friends and a little bit more freedom and things like that. I love the social parts too, but if you think about it, you're not allowed to socialize during class. <laughs> <laughs> so, you're not here to socialize. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I loved meeting my friends, but at the same time, I, I wasn't really doing anything with them. I was just <laughs> so I think that I would would have also benefited from you know more meaningful interactions after I'm done with learning. <laughs> oh, you made me you sparked something in me because it's like I, that's kind of funny because I remember that too. So almost it's like school is actually kind of like suppressing that social need so yeah. that you're like not even really into the learning they're asking you to kind of choose of like do i talk to my friend or do i <laughs> learn and it would almost i would think be more beneficial to really uh flesh out the two kind of like where you really have a rich social time and you reach the end of that and then you're really ready to dive into your studies you right. know what i mean so you're yeah. not asked to constantly choose yeah and um be distracted and things like that so I did much better in the university setting or like, well, I mean, yes and no, but more of more of that open concept of like, you can choose what you learn and you can make your own schedule and you can do your own thing. That was a much more open area for me. And I think, like I said, more personalities or some personalities thrive with that. Would you say that your personal experience in school was also part of the inspiration you have for the Rainbow Room? Oh, absolutely. I'm creating this for little Emily, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, because I would have, that's just how I am. And um, after, so about 17, you know, I graduated from high school. Like, I was a pretty good student. I jumped through the hoops that I needed to <laughs> to, to do it. And then I, but what happened is I really kind of fell off of a cliff after I graduated because I felt that enormous pressure of like, what are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your life? And I feel for kids, like when they get all those questions, I'm like, so where are you going? What are you doing? And so my first college of, or my first semester of college, uh, which I reluctantly went to, same kind of thing, like I, I wasn't very motivated to go. And then I went and I, I dropped out like six weeks into it and right. even took all F's. I didn't even do the dropout form or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that was a huge hurdle. And I went into a really pretty dark place of and depression after that as a young child. And from there, when I did go back a couple years later, I was like, no, I'm going to make this mine. And 
I'm pretty much a poster child of like self-directed learning because I even went and found this degree that will allow you to kind of interdisciplinary, um, do an interdisciplinary mix of your passions. And sometimes it's called general studies, sometimes it's called different things. But that's what I chose to do. So I kind of made this cool degree that's a mix of family, consumer science, women's studies, child development, and I was in preschools. I was like an experimental preschool trying to learn about like the formation of human minds. And then I'd be in the women's studies department doing an internship. And it just was a really fun way to spend my four years. But then, of course, I don't. I use that maybe now to what I'm doing, but those were my interests all along. And I probably would have just, if somebody would have said like, why don't you go do something else? And there's nobody holding back your passions from you. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They kind of make it seem like if you, if you like something, then you should make it into your career and you should go to school and you should do that. Yeah. But it's kind of like, I'm a lifelong learner. Like right. I'm learning all the time. Like I'm like all of us. I don't think there's a single person that's not learning all day, every day. We're learning machines. Right. But I was passionately following and reading books after the fact. So I'm sure during my twenties I would have done the same and maybe I could have traveled or whatnot because as soon as I got out of school I kind of just like did my own thing and traveled for many years and did different things and was served a lot by those real experiences out in the world as well right. in formation nope. and that's w- where it's so important to introduce kids I think even earlier to this concept because when you have teenagers uh, there's a really cool school you'll need to check out um, called One Stone mm-hmm. in Boise and I actually just started um, training with them with my Las Vegas group here and they are the coolest school I've ever seen for teens them and workspace education, I would say, is my two, like, that I'm like, okay, that's that's it. They've done it, you know. They've, they've put it together for the teen years because I feel like what I'm doing, it really serves, like, a younger, it, of course, serves a younger audience. Right. And then once you get to the teen years, to understand it developmentally, they really want real-world responsibility. Mm-hmm. I even see my 8-year-old, she's like, Mama, I can do it. And it's like, they're really dying to prove themselves. Right. So when you take a 13-year-old, um, one stone, I love the way they described it to me, is that they ask their, they start these 13-year-olds on this, like, kind of a hero's journey of themselves, getting to know themselves, mm-hmm. with the question, what makes your heart hurt? Wow. And I know, it's, like, so cool. It, it, I've even told that to many adults, and it's the same kind of response, like, every time, like, geez, wow. And it leads you to your own intuition, right? It makes, it's your personal, like, what makes your heart hurt? For some people, it's going to be abandoned kitties and dogs on the street. And for another child, it's going to be homeless. And and it doesn't always have to be activism. Maybe it's that child that gets left behind or or different things. But I think at that age, it is, they are really passionate. They want to change the world and so you're giving them kind of an avenue to find their piece of that and then isn't it a cooler concept to experiment and then so through that 13 to 18 years from what I understand in my research with them I'm obviously going to learn more and you should I can try and help connect you with somebody that you can interview over there to bring this concept bigger but um so cool 
yeah, it's it's this journey of self-knowledge and trying things out and really putting on that hat, joining a nonprofit, volunteering at a nonprofit, sitting on some board meetings just to see how these things, what are the mechanics inside so that you can really find out where you fit in that puzzle. Right. What do you really like to do? Do you like numbers and clerkial and accounting? Does that like, do you love organization and like line by line? Or are you more like the ideation phase? Or, right. You know, you'll find your place in that puzzle because it, we're all different. Personality definitely plays a huge part in our lives. What do you think you would have answered when you were uh, 13? Mm, that's a really great question. Or a really great question. I always really did like children. I loved being mm. an older sister. Um, I think it would have been something along those lines. So I think the writing was on the wall even then. Right. You know, uh, I loved children. I was a big babysitter. Mm-hmm. I loved preparing little projects for them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, like I was like, oh, cool, we'll do this little thing and bringing like a little kit of painting and puzzles and things like that. And um, as far as like heart hurt, yeah, any child that was in danger. I. It's funny that you say that the writing was on the wall because you know, I think it's a very interesting thing to ask 13 or 14-year-olds this question. Maybe you give them more clarity about their life, about what, why they want to do what they want to do. I mean, I'm just thinking about how would my life look like now if somebody would have asked me this question when I was 13. Mm. Yes. Probably, probably more different and probably in a positive way. Like, what part of the world do I want to serve? Right. It's really something, maybe another question I would ask of, like, what would... What would bring me meaning? Like, what facet of the world would I love to just serve? Wake up every day and like help out. Wow, and that's for me, a great question. Yeah, that that really comes back to children, but I'm sure for other people that's different areas. Yeah, that's the thing. And that's so cool. That's why we're all born different. Is that we really do plug into a place in the world, and I just. I think so much about that, and I don't think that we're, like, changing the game because I think any career counselor or school, anybody that's ever created or thought about a school, an educator would say, like, come on, guys, we try so hard to help these kids facilitate this kind of thought process. Mm -hmm. But I would kind of counter that with, like, when you look at the One Stone, which actually was an after-school program that turned into a full-time school because of the demand. Really? yeah, yeah incredible. That, cool? that must feel amazing yeah because they hit such a vein they're like ooh, we're on to something here these wow. people are really responding and so they're facilitating them within the community it's a huge community outreach kind of thing where they're putting it back on the the child of like create these programs create like you need to go out and contact that person and what a great thing because we all I definitely did a lot of that stuff in my 20s and still 30s. But if you could do it where it's a low-risk kind of thing where you're still at home and you can put your whole heart into something and not be juggling also, you know, all the demands of school and rigor and maybe after-school things, you're really in a, a good position to really learn. So there's actually a girl there that really is cool, uh, Kate. She... She went to One Stone, and now she works for them, and she's just such a cool girl. I haven't really gotten to know her that well, but I'm just like, 
dang, you're the like coolest, like most put together 19 year old I've ever met in my life. So Wait, she's 19 and worked there already? Yeah, yeah, she works there full time and like helps do all these things. That's quite the success story of I know. <laughs> it's like, wow, okay, tell me more. That's like such a fun, fun uh, personality arc to see it come full circle. Mm. And I think that that's the thing too is that there really are only so many creative positions in the world. You know, when you see a six-year-old or seven-year-old, they all want to be dancers and musicians and, uh, you know, and I think right. we really need to encourage that because it's not that they'll be dancers and musicians. Those will be, I mean, of course they can, but that's going to fuel that creativity and passion is what they'll learn to take on into their right. careers. And it's really just like a phase, like almost like a, yeah, a phase of like <gasps> the arts and the the passions of that. And then I'll, I'll eventually hone it down and work it down and, and sculpt it into something that actually does have a career for my family. Because I think people fear like, well, if it's not traditional, it's nice to be artistic, but how are you going to earn any money? And I think that's really a valid point, too, because you do have to make a balance. You do. And I mean... One thing that I didn't learn in school, for example, is organizing my finances. I mean, <laughs> if you can teach both, if you can teach about, you know, the importance of being able to pay your rent, <laughs> and but also the importance of doing something passionately. It's very sad when I look back at my adult life. I think, I mean, now with this podcast and now that I'm going into the educational direction, I'm getting back on you know, being happy and passionate about stuff. But before that, I think there were two moments ever since I turned 18 where I was actually excited about doing something. And I think that it would be great if, you know, if we encourage children to take that all the time with them, whatever they're excited about, but to be able to make decisions that make them happy. Because sometimes I feel like, a lot of the decisions that I personally made in terms of my education and career and whatever felt like punishment, but I still made them because I thought that that's the right thing to do. I think that's part of the paradigm, right? Is that sacrifice, sacrifice now so that you can get to this eventual goal. Yeah. But I remember my little brother said to me one, one time, I'll never forget it because he was like, well, I just don't get it. Like they want you to do this okay, so I'll do that, and then I'll do what I want to do. And then they make you do this, or they want you to do this, but, okay, fine, I'll do that. And he's like, wouldn't it win? Because he was, like, listing out, like, the next, really basically, like, what is outlined for the 18 to maybe 26-year-olds from, like, you know, go to school to have a baby. And he was like, so when is when is when it, like, me? <laughs> and it's, like, so true because it, it – and then we have all, if we had these beautiful, robust examples of healthy uh, adults, that would be one thing. We could really say, like, okay, we're doing well in society. And, like, uh, I don't know that we do. You know, my husband's from France, and so I see also that motto. We've lived over there, and I actually taught in schools over there English. So I had that example as well to draw on. But uh when i see the french model i think there there's so many nodes in the system so it's really hard to say like well their schools are better because i don't know that they are i don't know that french schools are any better because they really follow the same paradigm but they have a more open 
holistic place in your life, like mm. that their jobs aren't quite as demanding or in that they, they really value personal time. Mm. There's so many things that go into it. So I think that we're all as a society kind of asking to create like what the workforce will look like in the future going forward because we're in such a time of turmoil and change, but that eventually will turn into hopefully a, a, a change in the system and a more peaceful time, hopeful time. I mean, I have to try and stay optimistic. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that's the way to go, right? And yeah. of course, you have, I mean, why not be optimistic? You're already doing something to, to change, you know, your community and the way your children learn. And I think we, we all should just, if we see an issue that we might be able to solve at a, you know, no matter what the scale is, if we all just start, I think we're going to be moving forward sooner or later. Oh, absolutely. And it just feels so good to be like, like everybody, you know, 30 year olds are, we're all trying to find our passion. You know, what's your passion? What's your purpose? Like, what's your why? And yeah, how powerful would that have been if we had been asked all those questions earlier? But it's really true, like, because why we're even thinking about that is because we're noticing kind of this hole of, well, what, what, is, what am I supposed to do? I've, I've ticked all the boxes, and now I really want to find how I can contribute. Right. And I think that's a human drive, is how am I contributing to the world? And that's, that's always been how it's set up since the beginning of time. And it's just a human need that we really need to address. And I think, once again, the education department would say, like, hey, what do you think we're doing over here? <laughs> you think we're trying to enslave kids? No, we're passionately trying to help kids. And I think it just always goes back to, right? You know, like, yeah. I think any teacher would be so maybe offended by me of, like, lady, what do you think I'm trying to do? I'm trying to help kids learn and have knowledge and have careers and spark interests and spark yeah. joy. But it's just that, it's kind of that paradigm shift of like, it has to happen in X environment as we're seeing now. Like even now we've taken it to this level of like, well, a teacher has to give the knowledge. And so teachers have to do it like virtually. And we could have gone a whole different way. And, and school has happened from X time to X time. And, and it's, we just went almost, we went almost stricter than more open. And the point being is that I don't think any teacher went into the profession to do what they're doing now, you know, like trying to control a class through the screen yeah. and, okay, Johnny, I see that you're, what are, what are you doing over there? Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I believe that this must be difficult right now, but at the same time, I think if, you, if your why is strong, if you know exactly why you're doing things, you, you kind of need to adapt to whatever the situation it is, if, if your motivation is, you know, there. Um, and when you... I, go ahead. I, I, know, I know teachers who, you know, everybody was shocked by what's going on right now, so it was difficult for everybody to adapt. But um, I know teachers who've been trying so hard and taking class and doing this and just trying to adapt, find podcasts, find movies, find whatever works. So I think, that, I mean, we have enough possibilities. I think we're just not really catching up as a system. Yeah. And you're right. So much innovation will be born of this. And when you see how much 
I, I'm not against virtual learning. Like I think there's so, I think we have to use technology. Mm-hmm. Like what a gift it is. Uh, from YouTube channels that you could basically school your whole child on YouTube and podcasts. That's a belief I have when, when people say, yeah, but I don't have the resources for this and I don't maybe have the time. I would say, take the time way down because learning is not like an eight, like an eight hour job. Yeah, that's the thing. Never has been. You see your child from one to two hours a day, right? Mm -hmm. Hopefully. And to act that to, because I really, I liken it to a lot of the questions I've got gotten asked is I've been kind of, oh, Emily, you're not communicating this properly because I think a lot of parents feel like they have just gotten a full-time teaching job (laughs) or at least, you know, like back in the day or like if you're going to do homeschooling, it's going to be, I'm a teacher with classroom management tactics and I get them to sit down at the table and how do you deal with distraction and how do you deal with this? And and it's like, oh, no, it's a much more fluid process Mm. that you're trying to work into your life and the table time, as we call it, or the like, the actual concreteness of it all takes place in a much shorter amount of time. I would say we spend, you know, one, maybe 40 minutes to an hour and a half at the table, three to four times a week is really all. It's not, and then of course we're learning, we're doing YouTube videos, we're, the kids are having books, we're, I've just created a system to where it's, it's really not this overload of of planning and work and it's fun it's it's a joy it's, right. it's fun to wake up and think what are we going to learn about today and my kids feel the same like you know that same energy of like wow what else are we going to discover today the process of discovery and variety and I love it and I follow a lot of homeschooling families that then have teenagers and I would say that from six to 12, it's that really fun time of like variety and just introducing a lot of concepts, planting a lot of seeds. Mm-hmm. And then in 12 to 18, like we said, they, they're really honing down their craft and their passions and their things. They've, they've been exposed to so much. And then it's the process of refinement. And I just think, it's, I think we're given as, as humans so many cool developmental periods and there's already a natural system in place. So if we can get closer to that, then yeah, all, I mean, all benefiting. I, I think the model that the school in Netherlands, which I was talking about, is using is great because the teacher should be a facilitator. I mean, the yes. desire for learning is already there, the curiosity is already there. If you think about how we learn things when we're little, it's just basically by being curious, by asking questions, by hurting ourselves, by touching things, smelling things. And it's funny to me that somehow school, the typical school, makes you less curious. I mean, after a few years of school, I I, I realized that, um, you know, I didn't have as much of a drive as I used to have before. And uh, after graduating high school, it, it was so critical to the point where I didn't really necessarily feel like reading anything because I was mm-hmm. done with school. So I had to kind of rekindle this desire for learning and this curiosity, which, you know, you can still do, but the whole point of school would be to maintain that or even increase that. I'm the same way. Like I, that was actually very much my story. And I don't think we're alone. I've read other accounts of this. Of, I was the kid that 
loved the library. I like, grew up there. I looked forward to it. It was my favorite place in the world. I'd come home with, you know, this stack up to my chin books and just be in my bed. Like, my mom would get angry at me because I would just say, your eyes are going to go out because I would just be reading and reading and reading. And it's true, I do have bad eyesight now. <laughs> I tell my daughter that. <laughs> I don't know if it's from that, but, you know, and... um so I had just this intense love and passion for books, and I still and same kind of thing. I had to rekindle that, and but during my those years, those depressing years, it was like I wasn't even looking at books because I was just like so. I was like, I'm failing. I'm oh, a wow. failure in wow. this system, and so I almost rejected anything that looked like traditional, you know. And I, I just, yeah, I think that's such a shame that we take things away from the passion and, and we kind of stifle that creativity and curiosity because there's also another element to it. The And some people are really talking about this. I would encourage anybody to check out, um, what's the name, Generation Mindful and things like this where we're talking about grit and kids are so afraid to make mistakes now mm. because their world is so prescriptive of like no this is sit down here at this time and then do this at this time that they're so uh scared to make mistakes and, and parents are even like if you want to learn a new thing they're scared of that phase where you're going to fail you know you're, mm. if you try something you're gonna you nobody's good at the first try you know mm. nobody including myself and I think that's really going to disservice as humans because we have to fail. I mean, every example of anybody that's done anything in this world is a huge series of failures. And so a question that I, my kids love this when we do this, we call it like, what was your failure today? Yeah, and cool. they love it. And so <laughs> we, it's almost the time that we get to apologize to our kids too. Of like, I mean, I'm constantly doing that. <laughs> like, you know, Mama stressed today. Sorry, you know. But we love it because, like, we can say, like, you know, my little son will say, like, yeah, my failure today was when I spilled the whole jug of milk on the ground. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and we'll get, you know, we'll get to like talk about that of like, oh, honey, everybody makes mistakes, and you know, I did that too when I was a okay. kid. I remember that feeling and. And, you know, my husband will say really cute ones of, like, oh, my failure. Like, he made this apple tart once. Or, no, he's really good at apple tarts. I can't remember what he made. And none of the kids liked it. And it was a dessert. He was just, like, so down on it. Like, oh, my failure today was that the tart was not good. (laughs) (laughs) You could tell he was, like, really upset about it. We're all, like, comforting him, you know. It's okay, Papa. Next one will be better. That's <laughs> <laughs> so sweet. But I think we're conditioned to think that failure is just bad. Funny, because if you think about all of the great, inspiring, successful stories, they never start with, so I did everything perfect and now I'm here. They always start with, this was so difficult. I was depressed for most of my life, and then I discovered this, and I was great at it. Oh. It's so true. If you hear anybody's account of success, there was so many ups and downs. And that's another thing that in the One Stone training that I really loved is that they communicate almost like, so even as you're saying that to those young kids of like, what makes your heart hurt or this, you're also 
supplementing that with a disclaimer of like, hey, don't think that I, as a 40-year-old, have that all figured out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm still asking myself these questions every day, and it will be a lifelong process. Right. So you're kind of like offloading that off of them of like, well, you need to figure out what makes your heart hurt, and you need to go through that, and you need to know who you are, and you need to know this self-knowledge, and like, who are you? What? It's still kind of that same pressure, just in a different box. So putting that lifeline clear out of like, these are kind of lifelong questions, honey, but they're really important to constantly be refining. And if you do something in your 20s, but then you do something totally different in your late 20s and then move into something in your 30s and 40s, that's normal. Yeah. Completely normal. And actually encouraged because think of how rich your life experience will be by the time you're 70 when you've done you know, Definitely. you know, several different careers. And that's actually the world we're living in anymore is, you know, it's very rare to get a job and keep that job. Yeah, what are the chances? Oh, that those chances are actually very slim. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're going to need to adapt. You're going to need to be creative. You're going to need to be critical thinking, like innovative and move your life forward because we're not handing it to people anymore. That's for sure. Like, right. that's really part of the issue is that there are very few jobs handed to anybody anymore. So I think the response from the school world and from the parents is like, well, I've got to hustle then. I've got to compete. I've got to, like, make my child get to the top of this pile when it's much more um, productive to actually, like, go towards passions and talents mm. because that's where they'll really be able to compete. Right. <laughs> And and we have to lessen kind of the the idea of scarcity because our children are going to create these jobs that we don't even know what they yeah. are right now. Yeah, that's so. Amazing. To ask a kid what they want to do is like basically like, honey, you'll probably create the job that you want to do. So <laughs> let's think that way. <laughs> that's the thing. That's the thing. You have you have kids who want to go the traditional route and find a yeah, path for them to just work, but then you have kids that create different paths. So, you know, yeah, we have both. We have both, and yeah, I think this 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 question gave me anxiety. <laughs> My teenage years, what do you want to be? I'm like, <laughs> no, I still exactly. don't know. And for the most part, I thought I want to be an architect, and then I went to architecture school, and I realized that I don't. So people still ask me now, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I I don't think it has a name really. <laughs> see. Exactly, and it doesn't. But, like, we're both on the same path. And so it's obviously needed in the world. And I just, it's very inspiring for me to um, think about it in that model. And just to go back to kind of what we were saying about when you ask any successful person what their career path looked like, I think that would have been so encouraging to hear as a young child. And I actually was in a room, a big room of people once, where they said that of, like, who here can can say that they they did this and then they did this and then they did that and then they did this and, and you know and it was a, a very small amount of people who else would say that their career was like a wave you know like up down here there oh and it was like almost the whole audience now my husband is somebody who is we put up on a pedestal because he knew at three years old he wanted to be a chef and then he went to chef school and then he got his job, and he is an extremely hard worker. So he is that true testament. And would I take that away from him? Hell no, you know. Like, I love 
his career path, you know, everybody has their own thing. Right. And he rode that, like, a mountain all the way to the top. And right. that's been his, like, journey. But to think that that's, like, not fraught with also issues as well of during quarantine asking himself, like, have I positioned myself now in an industry that might disappear or might change drastically right. or might not be as important going forward? And insecurities of, like, I've put myself too much, like, I've I've been almost too uh, specialized. You know, right. there's so many different facets of what a career is, and I think we'd do better to focus on more what is a human and of what skills can we bring to the table that would serve <clears throat> and be adaptable. Yeah. You know, I know he'd do fine no matter what because he's got hard, he's a hard worker. Right. So my husband, will, I've never worried about him because he's a hard worker. So that's kind of a one of those kind of skills that we can encourage in children with grit and like perse- perseverance and saying that right. And all those kind of like life skills and like you said before of like if we can couple, like, education could, if we're going to teach kids anything, we should teach them how to get an apartment, how to manage your finances, (laughs) what it is to go to the DMV, and, you know, all these things that really, they tripped me up. They still do. Like, you know, I'll forget to send, I forgot to send in my census, so, of course, somebody knocks on my door, and, you know, things like that. Like, (laughs) yeah. Just those management of daily life, because that's really a huge chunk of life. And if you can get those things well, like managing your finances and making rational decisions based on what your finances are and things like that, then the whole world opens up to you because you'll really not be stressed of like, I need to get this job to make this money, and et cetera, et cetera. Right. Uh, interesting that you said that uh, you know that your husband would do well no matter what happens because he's a hard worker. I think, yeah, the, there are some skills that are very important and that will make you also be adaptable in the sense that no matter what happens, you can still, if you're a hard worker, if you have discipline, if you have good ethics, if you are just able to organize yourself, you know, these are some skills that you can use in any field, in really any field. and. Because people ask me now a lot if I regret going, having gone to architecture school. And to be honest, I don't think Diana from five years ago would have made a better decision. Uh, but one thing that I did learn is this hard work, right? So I think that I will be able to use this no matter what I do. So in a sense. And isn't that such a beautiful story? Because I would say that I hear that echoed over and over again through people's stories. I love listening to people's stories you know mm-hmm. and I think that that's a big one of like nobody really says like well I regret I regret going and getting my degree I regret going and getting doing these things because in each of those we learned something mm-hmm. and we learned something about ourselves and we don't want to give that back so while we might not have gotten to the objective and it might not have produced something that we can like take to the world and say like look what I did with this Mm-hmm. We got something from that journey that's mm-hmm. very personal, and we think like, no, no, I, I, I wouldn't change it because right. I learned so much. But also, that's way. why I think it's so important now that you, the question that they ask at one stone, uh, mm-hmm. what makes your heart hurt? This gives you a sense of why you're doing what you're doing, and I think it's so important 
to discover your why as early as possible because then no matter what you do, if you do it according to that why, then you still have something to learn from it because you still made it for that bigger purpose. That mm. And that's beautiful because I can bring that back to even what I was sharing about my husband is because he is such a, a family guy. So his why would be like, I'm doing this. I, I'm working for my family. Right. So he would be able to find passion and worth even if he was working, you know, in a fast food restaurant because for him it's, the why is like I'm serving my family. Right. And that's really what his like deep, deep inner thing is. So he's going to be okay because right. his why is greater than I have to cook for kings and queens of the world. You know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have to serve my ego and be written about in, in magazines and things like that. His why is much different. So I think that's something that it's like a guiding, uh, force right in our life right. exactly a beacon, a beacon call of like you'll yeah. find and it's very calming right it's very when you think like no no matter what i'll find a way to help children like my whole life <laughs> and that is your why right yeah yeah <laughs> i like that because i can really do that no matter how big or how small i think this is also important and i think that the paradigm will shift it's just in a time of turmoil right now. And, and when people look back and maybe listen to this, I hope my children, when they listen to this, they say, Mom, it was like calling the sky blue. Like, this is right. just what people know now. Like, right. we were talking about, like, why were you so different? Because that's basically the world we live in now. Everybody believes that we should, you know, be more self-directed and <laughs> right. Right. that we're right. always learning. And I just hope that that's like the new normal. If we're going to talk about a new normal, I hope that's the new normal. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. we understand that. And we look back at people like me and think like, well, what? That was nothing. That was like not a big deal. Well, and there's always disruptors. Like we have a place in society as disruptors because there's disruptors in medicine and science and everything. It's almost like part of the natural process mm -hmm. to to kind of like shake things up, to bother things, to agitate them, to right. force them to go further. Right. And um, what would you say makes a good school for you? Well, we've touched on the environment for sure. Uh, definitely respect and trust of the child and more understanding of child development period. Mm. One of the ones that I always go back to is there's this school, I'm not sure exactly if it's in China or Asia or somewhere, but I heard it's so cool for a preschool. So one year it's just water, mm -hmm. and the next year it's just sand, and the next year it's like, oh, what is it? Like just rocks. So their whole system is like the children go out in the playground and play with these sensory materials for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And so what they say is just that they, like, come up out with this very deep, rich understanding of, like, it seems silly to talk about sand, but when you see my children in sand, like, or any children in sand, we all understand intrinsically how important that is to them. Like, right. they're really constructing worlds. And my daughter, my two-year-old, what I do with her most mornings, I just got a little water table yesterday, is because she's obsessed, just pouring the water, 
playing with the water, touching the water, tasting the water, all those like sensory experiences really, really, really mm-hmm. pour in. And so my first, uh, I'm going to do a theme each month for the Rainbow Room, and I chose Sensory uh, September because I was really influenced by the book of The Missing Alphabet. Mm-hmm. They make the theory that we have our ABCs, we have our one, two, threes, but what we're missing is giving kids this um, third peg of the sensory alphabet mm-hmm. of how to communicate, how they receive knowledge and how they, they put it back out of um, describing what they touch, feel, know, experience, and putting it in terms of textures and tastes and all these things, because when you think about it, really all of our knowledge comes via our senses. And so that's a really boiled down concept to like give to children that you can see how that would just develop over years. It's just like the ABCs and the one, two, threes. It's kind of like an elementary building block of knowledge. Wow, that's super cool. And what do you have in mind for Sensory September? Oh, I'm so excited. I have so many, like, if you've ever played with kinetic sand, that's really fun. I have Play-Doh. We're going to do science experiments. It, it really blossoms, and, and we're going to do, I mean, I think that's the whole thing is that you can do all avenues this way, right? You can do um, the scientific method with that language. That's really what it is, you know, observation. <laughs> and then we'll move into um language and vocabulary and spelling and writing and documenting what we find and so much fun yeah they're getting all these disciplines it's just kind of flipped on its head right Uh, and and of course like my program is not all-inclusive this is a supplementary program for homeschoolers so i'm in communication with the parents saying you know like Obviously, this is not going to be everything. They're only coming here two two times a week. Right. So uh, the parents have their own system um, at home to cover the basic disciplines of math, science, English. And they come here to kind of apply it with their friends, group, projects. You know, project-based learning is a big thing, inquiry-based right. learning. We're going to do mind maps and uh, really try and co-create this uh, experience together. Wow, that's me, yeah, the beginning will be me communicating to them this trust of like, no, I really care about what you have to say. So please, let's work on this together. And I'm going to model, I'm going to measure the success. I asked the parents to join me in measuring the success of the Rainbow Room by the engagement of the kids. Mm-hmm. Like how much they love coming here, how much excitement they feel, how much they're enjoying this process and that will be a success for me that's yeah. the right way to measure success yeah exactly <laughs> like when when children come here and they're so excited and they love it and they just walk in and say oh my gosh this is great i'm like oh that's just that's it for me. that's <laughs> it that's what i did it for that's all i needed thank you <laughs> <laughs> what's the biggest lesson you've learned from homeschooling um that it's really more an inner journey than it is anything else. Mm. If we're going to talk about the environment, we should also talk about the environment of the parents, of the inner environment, of 
for me, it's been very much part of my spiritual journey of just kind of understanding myself, mm-hmm. understanding my intuition, trusting my intuition. And then through that, it keeps me from blocking myself in the homeschooling process. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if you're too directive in homeschooling, then you're basically running into the same problems of the classroom. And so, so much of it is trying to, and not that I don't trip up all the time. I think I gave this example before, but it's um, when you have an agenda as the parent, yet the energy of the child is not in match with that, then you're going to have a bad homeschooling session. Right. Not that you can't get all back on board, but what it's going to take is like a, a conversation with the child of like, honey, what's going on with you today? Do you need right. to talk about something else? Did you not sleep well last night? Do you right. want something? Need a snack? But when you have an objective of, I give the example of like, well, Papa's going to work, so we need to have a French session right now. And you were just really, you were looking at this book, but now I've grabbed you from that and said, okay, sit down over here, you know, and be with Papa. And not that you can't, like I said, get out of that, like a little, a little bit goes a long way of, you know, reconnecting with their father and things like that. But there can, it can just create kind of this like tense situation where people are on edge and the child is like, I don't want to do this. And I think that's, and then just being able to walk away from that. Right. And just like, you know what, we'll come back to it because there are other days that my daughter is coming up to her, to her father and saying like, Papa, can we do French today? Oh, I really want to do dictate, you yeah. know, and she gets out her little notebook. And that's what I look for. Mm-hmm. You said, the moment that they're curious about something and they're coming to you with a question is like, oh, jump in, like just dive into that pond if you can. And a lot of times, it's both like sometimes I'm like okay I got to take this learning and we got to go with this and other times I say oh honey you know I'm listening to a podcast I'm cleaning the kitchen so let's put it on a shelf let's write it down and let's get back to it later kind of thing and yeah what can you what can you supplement your child's education with so that it's not all coming from you I think that's kind of a big myth Mm -hmm. too is that it all comes from me. That's absolutely not the truth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my child, both six and eight, are coming to me with like knowledge that I'm like, where does that even come from? Right. Because they do get to a really fun level where if you can get them reading, then they are taking in their own knowledge. And right. it, and it can even start earlier with all these amazing podcasts that they have for kids. Right. Um, so they're going to bed at night with this really rich entertaining, engaging information coming into their ears. <laughs> and they'll wake up in the morning and, Mama, did you know this? And Mama, did you know that? My it's daughter the so other day awesome. told me how she knows how to communicate in with a fan uh, geisha sign language. And I'm like, come what? again? How do you know that? <laughs> and she showed me like five signs of like, this means I'm shy. This means I'm in love with another. This means this. And I'm like, she's showing me all this with a fan. And I'm just like... <laughs> so awesome magical like it's it's so much fun i i have a blast with it and i know that might be personality driven but i think it's really possible just just to do life with your children why do we have children if not to like have fun with them and enjoy them and be with them all those things 
So. Yeah, I mean, it's, it sounds like you're having a lot of fun. I would love to uh, to be in the rainbow room too. There might be a limit. Anytime you come to Vegas, we got a spot for you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I'll let you know next time. Yeah. Um, I like to ask my guests this question at the end. What advice would you give high school Emily? High school Emily. I think I would give her a boost of confidence. I think I was very insecure and not very aware mm -hmm. of, of the things that I do have. I'm getting to an age where I kind of feel like, wow, I kind of do have some natural talents right. that others might be thinking are cool. Mm -hmm. And I just never saw that as a 17 year old. I saw myself as like failing the system like I've mentioned before, but I think I would just tell her to to uh, go within, constantly be going within, and all answers lie there. It sounds so cliche. <laughs> but it's but true. I, That's the thing. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've always wanted to write a book called My Life in Clichés, where I talk about the moment that something comes out of your mouth, and it's the most cliche statement ever. But you really get in that moment, like, why? Because it's just the universal truth. Really like, cool everybody is that. I mean, maybe when I'm older, but it's just been an experience that I've had over and over again in my life where I, I arrive to this pinnacle of knowledge at the top of the mountain, and then the way I would describe it comes out of my mouth, and it's like, <laughs> that's the most cliche thing ever. <laughs> All answers lie within, and it's like, yeah, that's what a lot of people say <laughs> but that's awesome right because it's like that's the human that's a, a we all own that that's right. the human truth right so I kind of love that concept so I would definitely tell her to have more confidence go within and um, mine her true talents and that's what I'm trying to do with my children so that's great well I'm super excited about your project and I think Thank that you. it's an incredible concept I think it's great that you're sharing this with the world as well and um, thanks for being here thanks for doing this with me and um, I had so much fun thank you so much and I'm so happy that you had me and found me and anybody that wants to follow what I do can go to the rainbow room on Instagram I'm just I'm, I'm kind of a chaotic mess to follow but <laughs> there's something there you know sharing it's a lot of fun pillars and joy and there's laughing and play, playful stuff yeah <laughs> let's keep the conversation going and keep in touch and like i said any 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 time and then i think you should join 100 rows and there's a lot of more people that you can interview over there for sure thanks for the tip okay have a great day you too bye bye